Hi, thanks for listening to Reads and Weeds. If you are enjoying it, please like, subscribe, rate, and review, and share it with other stoner book lovers that you know. Thank you. Hey, everybody. <laughs> this is Shelly Smith, and this is reads and weeds and today we are going to be talking with music biographer jake brown and katherine powers about freddie powers spree of 83 the life and times of freddie powers and i have to tell you that i really don't know how samantha the publicist found me uh but she reached out and said hey I have a music biography and this is a a legendary country jazz musician who played with everybody and toured all over with Willie and Merle and hung out with him on the golf course and they had so many weed smoking stories and I was like yes who are you I love you I'm so excited it's all the things I love at the same time so I told Angie, Angie has a personal story with Parkinson's and she does a lot of the shows with me. I do stand up comedy and uh, have been a touring musician before and um, I love weed and I was so excited. <laughs> so everyone, I am here in real life with my lovely friend, Angie and- Hey. Hi. And uh, Jake Brown and Catherine Powers. So. Catherine Powers is Freddie Powers, angel, beautiful, partner for life and widow. And I feel like I know you already. <laughs> well, I'm gonna start this off by telling you a quick story. Okay. Which you'll, you probably read it in the book. Yeah. But um, Freddie's first experience with um, weed, marijuana, was when he was in the military. <clears throat> And it was his job at the time to bust people oh, for no. marijuana. And then they would go and burn it. And one time they were burning it and the sergeant come running out and started yelling at them to get um, downwind from it because it would make you crazy if you inhaled it. So Freddie covered his face, <laughs> he covered his face, afraid of it, and he ran away from it. And then all of a sudden, you know, he gets out of the military and um, he learns about pot and, and it becomes recreational to him. So for all those years, he was smoking recreationally. But then when he got the Parkinson's, we discovered that it has now gone from something that he ran from to something that he used to party with to now being medicinal. And it really relieved and helped him a lot with the Parkinson's. Oh my gosh. I feel like that story that I was scared of it and then it was recreational and now it's medicinal is a lot of people's stories. It is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people's stories. Another fun Freddie pot smoking fact is when him and Willie back in the 1950s, which is how far back their friendship goes, were first um, on tour together out. They didn't know that the other smoked. So they would go off Separately. Oh yeah. Willie and Paul Buzzkirk would go off in one direction and 
And then they would all come back to the stone baked together and not realize they were then driving over the next number of hours. All I loved that. I loved that story <laughs> out of the book. I was like, I had to tell my boyfriend because he loves he loves Willie Nelson. He's seen him in concert a couple times. And I was like, okay, listen, I know this sounds crazy, but <laughs> he was like, what? Oh my gosh, we're so silly, aren't we? I feel like I've done that at company meetings since I was like 20 years old. I'm like trying to find the people that smoke weed without telling anybody that I smoke weed. And I remember being, our meetings used to be in Nashville. My company was based in Nashville and it was always there, of course. Nobody talked about where they got it or, but it was like, I know it's here somewhere. But yeah, we're very we, silly. We were sitting on uh, on Freddie's when we started working on this book. I met them in the in the fall of 2012 at the VA when Freddie went in, and they weren't sure if he was coming out. And even right there in the parking lot, she and I were already bonding. And then we, I saw it get to work on Freddie in the room, the emergency room. But on top of that, when we would get on the bus and write every week, we would that was a a ritual. And yeah. Catherine would have to lean over Freddie and blow the hits into his mouth. And she could tell you how she did that. But it was amazing to watch her administer the hit, I guess. She <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my well, gosh. Actually, I, I would it. do it. it I, would, you know, I would give him, you know, basically the nose hit, except it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Would, you know, and um, so that's because he could he couldn't hold it and he couldn't draw. But yeah. I could blow it and he would or would he take it in? Yeah, yeah. Actually, Freddie was also. This is another funny story. Freddie was in the limo with, and y'all probably read it with um, Gretchen Wilson. Yeah, and um, yeah, he took a big hit, you know. And Gretchen, and he, she, she goes, "Do you like that stuff?" And Freddie goes, "If you see me, I'm high." I'm high. <laughs> Oh my God. So I want to know. So you said you two met in 2012? Right. 2012 yes. at the hospital. <laughs> we, oh, actually, we were going up to do an interview with Jake. Um, Merle was playing at, um, I believe it was uh, for a Hall of Famer event or something like that. I don't remember exactly. Um, or, or maybe that one was out at Loretta Lynn's ranch. I'm, I'm not, I don't even remember. The, there's too many of them. But um, <laughs> So we had already had that scheduled and then Jake had contacted me. And so um, we was like, well, hey, we're coming to Nashville. We'd love to do the interview with you. And then of course, when we get there, Freddie ends up in the hospital. And like you oh. said, not he was gonna even come out of it. But um, Jake came on up to the hospital and um, Jake can take it from there and tell you how he- No, we, it was a, it was a, they had a, they had a well-worn and well-loved manuscript of about 70 pages that was a combination of Freddie telling oral stories to Catherine about his history and then writing also diary entry things. And I read through it and, and you can see here from the font that we gen, uh, uh, paid homage to the Smokey and the Bandit Oh, yeah. Remind, oh, yeah. It, it reminded sure. me of like kind of a, you know, one of those early 80s rumbly kind of Burt Reynolds kind of movies that just keeps oh, moving yeah. and, keeping, and keeps and and if you look over the course of his life and we wrote the screenplay over um, 2019 and before COVID and the books mapped after it. But if you if you read it, you're really it's very cinematic because he's had such a amazing, you know, journey from the, the 60s on the road 
um, you know, the 50s, you know, Freddie was on the Tonight Show and the Today Show in the 50s before even anything else happened. I mean, this guy was a star from day one. And yes, yes. the 50-year friendship with Willie Nelson, the 40-year friendship with Merle Haggard, the, um, you know, and as I like to say, you know, Willie and Freddie, Willie and Merle could have picked anybody to hang out yeah. with as much as they hung out with Freddie. So there's a reason he's in their, you know, their, their backdrops. And, and as an influence, you know, um, obviously everyone can hold their own, but that, you know, him and Merle wrote over, I think Catherine's over 200 songs. Oh, there was yeah hundreds of songs and 41 of them made cuts and six of them became number ones yeah i mean the, the kindred not just friendships but but also then creative relationships that this this guy had um with pretty much everyone he intersected with he made a difference with uh affecting their yeah. artistry whether he was co-writing oh, yeah. with them or playing with them or whatnot and there's actually just because Freddie Powers chords are commonly known among Texas guitar players, but in the book, we deconstruct them really nerdily for the first time. And like you get Rattlesnake Annie giving you a sort of deconstruction oh of how they played and all these. So it, it attacks his multifaceted influence over country. He was oh, the yeah. first to really bring Dixieland jazz into its mainstream. We talk about all that in the book, but all that roots back from that original 50s, uh, uh, Willie, him and this guy, Paul Buzzkirk, who was such a huge influence. And yeah. also really to be fair, Paul is acknowledged. He's not a lot of books where he's spotlighted like he should should be and yeah. so it, it freddie freddie always made sure that everybody who deserved credit in his career got it and oh, yeah the book continues that yeah so so i have to tell the listeners that um this is a really touching memoir that goes for the entire life of freddie powers and it starts with him coming from a musical family and he was born in oklahoma and moved to texas right Right. Yes. Moved to Seminole. And his family was uh, a musical family. And um, he, then Freddie was in the military. Freddie was playing as a very young man. So that the timing I was trying to get was like him starting to play, playing with his family, going into the military, coming out. I was trying to like figure out that timeline because what I loved about, I, I didn't have the hardcover book. I had the like ebook. So <laughs> I, um, so, so were a lot of those just straight transcripts, like straight from the recordings? No, I mean, well, they've been, they've gone through, we, we, it's been obviously, it's been edited meticulously, but what we did try to keep was sort of the, the real nature of how these people talked and how they, I mean, if you talk to someone from Texas, they talk in a very distinct way. And Freddie talked with a really, uh, his voice was kind of like, wasn't high pitched, but because he could sing in all these ranges, but he had a naturally kind of funny voice. Catherine can tell you an entertaining yeah. voice. Uh, he was a comedian, you know, and, and there's oh, yeah. actually a couple live records, uh, live in 75, live in Vegas 75 and live in Reno, along with the, the two 26, uh, 52 song book soundtrack we've got, half live, half studio. You can hear him telling jokes and you can hear his voice inflecting and cracking the audience up with his impressions and everything. But he, he really, really was somebody who had so much energy and it was infectious to everybody else around him. And that came out in the stories. So we yes. tried to, oh, we, yes. you know, Rolling Stone called it an un, a freewheeling, often poignant oral history of one of the unsung heroes of country music. And that was a beautiful summation because it gives you kind of a real look at how many people's lives he affected because there must be 60 interviews in this book along with Freddie. And because oh, yeah. Parkinson's had advanced, we had old journals from the road and he had what he could tell us. I had about a year and a half of them where he could still talk. 
before he totally lost his voice or maybe two years, but it was a couple of years, but it, it was a, a combination. It was really in spirit of Freddie because he was always such a community guy. He always had a huge entourage of people either visiting him on the bus or that he was playing with or picking with or what have you, the picking parties. So it was a community. The book really became a community of, of Fred heads, I guess you'd call them, you know. Yeah, that's what we always called them, Fred heads. Yes, yes. So, yes, Angie. Oh, I, I think that, um, like, the style of the book was probably my favorite thing, just because it was more, this is first, first-hand accounts, as opposed to, well, this person thought this about that person. Or we this didn't person, want any of that. We, yeah, it was just, yeah. like, straight from, straight from those people, and I, I loved it, and it was so, like, they're, you know, they're storytellers, so it was really descriptive, and you could, you could feel yourself in the living room at the pick and parties. You could feel yourself in the RV. You could feel yourself at the casino. It was just so well put together. I just, uh, I loved you. it. I loved it. Thank you. Yeah, we, we worked for 10 years on, well, nine years on this book. We've been working to get this out correctly and properly. And um, one of the things that was very interesting too is, you know, Freddie fought he was a hard fighter i mean he fought for years beyond what he was expected to live and that's a really important part of the story because a lot of people oh, yeah. a retreat from the spotlight when parkinson's hits them for totally understandable reasons robin williams rest his rest in peace took his life he didn't want to do the michael j fox route and go out and be but freddie did and so freddie made clear to catherine once that you know once it was decided that he she was gonna stick it out and he was oh, gonna give it a mean, shot you mean when she you mean when she left and and was like you're gonna live <laughs> yep, <Yeah>. yep. <laughs> but then but then they took full advantage of of that and you know you have the intersection of the internet and social media and freddie's universe of fans now connecting with him um and then all the hall of fames that they got they kept she kept him on the road for years and years and that was a, a combination of fans of hall of fame places a place he still played even in a wheelchair shaking and singing this guy was the bravest person i think i've ever written a book with i mean it was crazy. Well, we went to europe you know um, even in a wheelchair yeah, yeah. The oh yeah oh yeah i um so so the the wonderful thing about this book is you immediately start getting to know him and then you feel like you watch him grow up and you and you know him you know him and all of his friends his friends are going he was always joking about this he was always hamming it up on stage he would when he was in vegas he would come in the back and go through the kitchen and go through the dining room and go through the craps tables and then go up on stage and everybody would have to get out of the way and i'm just like Yes, I love him. You know, and I think I know his family and I think I know his bandmates, right? Because it's what's what's really wonderful is having worked with, you know, a minuscule amount of musicians compared to this book, but I've worked with enough. I've worked with enough comedians to know that there's good people and there's funny people and there's super talented people but they're not always all the same. <laughs> you know, some people are like, that's a really good sax player that I never want to be on the stage with again in my life, you know? <laughs> and then there's that really great guitarist who 
can play anything you want, but he has a terrible attitude and he's always late and he's too drunk, you know? So to when you find that person like Freddie, who is fun and professional and can play anything and is generous with his skills and wants to help other people and is a hard worker and tells you jokes, you're just like, oh, let's keep him. <laughs> I want him in my band. No, he's in my band, you know? And, and then, the other great thing, and if you're listening to this and you're a musician, you will know what this is like. That person who just has your back. So the way all these musicians, he, he has this deep friendship with Merle Haggard and with and with Willie, lived on the golf course with Willie, lived on the houseboat with Merle. And I need to hear some of those stories, Catherine. So that's next. But, <laughs> but what's so great is what you're you're falling in love with this person. Um that you wish you could just go see in a show right now. You know, you wish you could just go to a pick and party right now. Yeah. You can it's on the wonderful. soundtrack. You can on the book soundtrack. We have. Oh yes. <laughs> we have, but you can read along and listen along on Spotify as you read, and you can go to YouTube and see them. Let me give you a quick setup to Catherine telling you about the the Lake Shasta days. Okay. Okay. Uh, the Spree of '83 as a title was sort of a catchphrase for a certain prolific period of time where Merle and Freddie into writing a whole new generation of hits that it's not like Merle needed more hits but the type of songs the way him and Freddie wrote together but also of all the books with in 50 books with how many rock bands I can't even count the partying these guys did superseded any of them oh yeah I mean these guys were rocking and roll these were rocker rock and rollers as much as they were people think of country like old pickers on a, it's like no, <laughs> oh, no. It, was, it was wet t-shirt contests and all kinds there's a funny story that we have opened the screenplay with and then I want to turn this over to her because she can tell you in more greater depth because she was there but we have the opening scene of Freddie flying a plane that he built himself over Lake Shasta and Merle's down in the radio tower and Catherine take it from there and what the back and forth and <laughs> well Freddie you know Freddie had two things that he would look for when he was up flying around and that was shad um because if the shad was running then they knew that the fish were going to be behind them and it would give be good fishing or freddie would spot the naked women <laughs> and so yeah. freddie would yeah. you know go back to merle and say hey merle i spotted a school of fish over here and he'd say but wait a minute i've just spotted a you know a bunch of naked women over in jones valley cove and <laughs> freddie would land and merle would be on his way and meet him over there and they would party you know or fish and, depending on the mood and both of us we you know merle had a fishing hole in his living room and we had a fishing hole in our living room so we, you know we all had our you know didn't even have to go out in the weather or whatever and fish and it would be like who caught the biggest catfish of the day yeah, and I did one time. Yes, yes. Me, oh my god! I to go back to the kitchen where the women would belong. So I went back in and I just pulled the plug and dropped my line, and I caught the biggest catfish of the day. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Freddie built his own airplane. Uh, he oh lived yeah. Like right next to Merle and in the book we got, we not only interview his flight instructor, well, sort of flight instructor, he taught himself to fly, but D Damon Fowler who flew with him. But Merle personally talks about- Damon Gardner. Damon Gardner, excuse me. But Merle also talks firsthand extensively. There's a whole chapter in there devoted to the piloting days because Merle was a pilot as well. So there's- Oh some, yeah. A Freddie just going up and they're not sure if he was gonna land, you know, kind of thing when he was learning. Sure. And then Catherine had a funny story when her and Freddie went up flying for the first time. That's pretty good. Oh, so did they did were they both pilots because of the military self-taught 
Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. Freddie, when he was 15 was the first time that he ran away to join the service and he joined the air force. And, um, of course, when they realized he was underage, they called his father and his father came and got him. <laughs> yeah. And so Freddie always had, you know, a, a taste for flying. He always, you know, wanted to fly. So um, the first thing that he actually bought, which we barely would talk about it, it was a, what they called a little gyro. It was like one of those little helicopter type planes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have the, the wings and the propeller in front, it was up on top. So that was his first actual plane. And what he really learned how to get off the ground was the little gyro. And then he built the, um, the little um, ultralight there on the dock. And then he, he went into the Cessna and he refurbished a, a, a Cessna 150, which we called the Air Fred. And that's where I took my lesson. And, um, but he was talking about the first time I ever got in a plane with Freddie. Um, we get in the plane and I'm already a little nervous, you know, I'm getting in this little two seater plane to begin with. And I'm not sure this much about his flying. No, it's risky for sure. Wraps <laughs> me in in the whole nine yards. And then he goes, would you hand me that instruction manual there beside you? And I was an instructional manager. I thought you said you knew how to fly. <laughs> Turned out to be the checklist and everything, but um, yes, I got to take my my flying lessons at that little Cessna 150, and then we graduated to a Cherokee 180. But um, oh my gosh, yeah. get an yeah. aircraft carrier on the top of his uh, his houseboat as well. Oh cool. yeah, yeah, carried the natural high on top of the houseboat. He oh was my the gosh. only aircraft carrier on the lake. Well, sure, you gotta have <laughs> one. You gotta have one, y'all. The these parties are described. So it, you know, you've 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 seen a VH1 behind the music. You know, you've seen yeah. you've seen rock and rollers party. We've all seen rock and rollers party. But what's great about these stories are there was girls and there was coke and there was booze and there was nudity and there was dancing. Yeah. But also they were crazy writing music, playing music. Yes. all the time like serious business <laughs> hence the title yeah that's the that's where yes. that title came from is they they were writing number one after number one after number one after number one yeah it just sounds like and they, and they were having so much fun that like you know it's even in the book about frank sinatra calling them and wanting them to come play on the white house but they was like uh, <laughs> are too busy <laughs> right right, right. too much to want to go play on the white house <laughs> yeah yeah think about it right now at this exact moment if i could go play music at the white house or hang out on that houseboat no question no question <laughs> i'd be on that houseboat no question you kidding me that'd be ridiculous and, and to your yeah. point even sure. in the, even in the 90s once they moved back to austin you know they had a they had a, a a big, big, big living room. They filmed a television show and a song, first songwriter show up interviewing songwriters, Rogers and Hammerhead. And then Rogers uh, and Hammerhead. Rogers and so Hammerhead. Great. And he, and, and, and Catherine produced it. I mean, but they'd have 150, 200 people in their living room. Oh my Just, God, I the know. The party never stopped. I mean, even as oh, yeah. as it was and as productively as you point out, they, they were really professional partiers slash, you know. Oh yeah. We've been talking about Freddie. 
you think maybe you've heard of him or you definitely heard of him or you know some Merle Hager songs and you know, you know, you want to know if you know some of his songs. So I've pulled up a few that we can share just for a second here. All right. because um when I was younger I hung out with my grandparents a lot I spent a lot of time with them um and we often went to like antique car shows um because my grandpa restored Hudson's and so we were always at these antique car shows and there would be you know they would have sock hops and they would have you know contests of doing the twist and they'd have square dancing and like just all kinds of different things would happen and i i vividly can remember hearing some of these songs when i was at these antique car shows um and even now my grandma listens to willie nelson radio in her car and i know i just heard that song like the last time <laughs> i was with her like a month ago and yeah. it's just funny because i'm like i don't know who freddie powers is and then i was i was like oh shit, yes i i I totally know who he is. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And it's so great to learn about him because like, I want, I remember at some point over the pandemic, all of my musician friends were trying to help each other. They were doing, you know, pay to watch me play in my living room and let's do a little Zoom concert. And so they were all trying to figure out and then they were supporting each other you know, basically creating funds and supporting each other. And it was so wonderful because you know those musicians where you're like please god don't stop playing like what do you need we'll support you and the really fun thing about all of the interviews in this book is that all the musicians are always like let's let's help freddie <laughs> you know and freddie his whole yeah. life was like i'm he was serving everybody else y you know he yeah. was leading yeah. the band yeah yeah very reciprocal the yeah. other thing to your point, when his when his Parkinson's really started to to take on a more challenging dimension for Catherine in terms of wanting to keep him on the road, she was the most amazing frontline worker. But there was a lot of behind the scenes action going on. But be it Willie, and I'll let her tell you about the specifics. But be it Willie or Merle or Big and Rich or Tanya or any of the people that stayed in his corner helping keep him on the road and in front of these crowds playing. Uh, and Catherine can tell you about some of those. But remarkable friendships and like you're talking about community of people that rallied oh yeah it's like you know if the bus broke down you know they would take care of it um there was a time when um financially we were hurting you know pretty bad and um i'd gotten behind on some car payments and willie comes over and he pays off our car totally eliminates the car payments oh he paid God. off some credit cards um to give us a fresh start and then he put cash in the bank and and of course Merle did the same thing they were everybody rallied behind Freddie 
and made sure that we had all that we needed, you know, um, to keep him out there and keep him active. Our goal was to not only for Freddie to have a quantity of life, but quality. And our focus was making sure that, you know, whatever time he had left, he was still enjoying it and having fun and being a part of the music business. Oh yeah. Even when we would write the book, I, we would go down on, on Music Row and, and I'd go on the bus with them for a morning or an afternoon and we would, you know, we partake and, you know, and, and, and Freddie to sit there and get to do that with him in his 80s was pretty cool. In fact, there's a picture from a Fontenelle gathering up the Barbara Mandrells. They had, we kind of had a send off and Catherine forced me to get up because I don't like talking in front of people like this is one thing, but she's like, tell a story. So, and she has all these great stories. So to compete with that's kind of hard. And all the are up there with their stories and Mark Oswald, Oh yeah. All these people. A bunch of hams. Well, for me, it was just sort of like, so I told the story of being on an occasion with him that marked an anniversary for me with a certain set item like that. And he, he would have to hold his breath between dad and then talking again. And he belted out. How would it have been 62 years that day, Catherine? He said, I've been doing it for 62 years or whatever. He was, he was talking about how long he'd been, he'd been smoking at that point. But the, the, the community, you know, the thing too about, about Freddie's Parkinson's that was so remarkable was that wherever they went, he had a crowd of people waiting when he got there, whether it was to help Catherine get him ready and off the bus or whether it was to just keep him company if she needed to go deal with the club promoter and kind of figure out where they were going to roll. You know, he was in a wheelchair, the logistics of it, or whether it was bouncers, the floor of Bama that would help bring him off and on the bus to go over to the songwriter club. And when he would come in there, of course, oh, Freddie Powers is here. And you would, yeah, why not? And you'd have like a whole, you would have like a hole for Freddie. You would have like a whole entourage of people that were almost sort of per town. It was like James Brown kind of wherever he pulled up. There was a crowd of people, oftentimes people that were playing with him and these shows. Would, oh, come on, I want to go over and meet Freddie before the show or hang out with Freddie. He became an attraction. Oh, my gosh. Of course. Because of it was course. so cool for people to be like, wow, uh, you could see a picture in the book and Toby Keith is is that Freddie Bowers? And the first, uh, <laughs> the first time he, you know, the, the, the Texas Heritage Songwriters Association did their inaugural induction ceremony. It was Freddie, Chris Christofferson, and Catherine, who was the other? Sonny Throckmorton. And Sonny Throckmorton. So this guy was royalty in certain circles that, that we wanted in this book to really illustrate because, you know, even in my National Songwriter series, of which Freddie is chapter one in the first book of the, of the, the two that are out, there's a third one coming soon, but that Sonny's in. But my point is, you, people do not really realize it's becoming more common now that behind all the hits there are a machine of writers that write them often it's not the star that performs it that actually wrote it merle was a, a rare case at that time and others um yeah. but freddie freddie was a world-class songwriter but he also hung out with world-class songwriters he influenced world-class songwriters like big and rich and pauline reese and others uh he really is as a mentor too so then to see all these people now coming back to pay homage to him when he was in, in time of need or just the company you know just to hang out with we got a lot of great stories the roast at the end i won't give it away but there's a really funny story there oh my gosh <laughs> it's all so funny so really? something that is so wonderful about this book is if you've got friends in your life and a big part of your relationship is making each other laugh, like you make it a point every day to make each other laugh, like Angie and her boyfriend are like that. And Angie and I are like that. 
and me and Angie's boyfriend are like that. And my boy, like, we have to make each other laugh and we mess with each other. You know, we pick on each other, we prank on each other. And so what's so wonderful is from the time you meet Freddie as a boy through his final days, he is laughing and making other people laugh. And every single person, you know, everybody that interviewed from, from like, this was his, fourth grade teacher to this is Tanya Tucker. They're all like, he was so funny. He was so funny. Do you remember the watermelon story at the very beginning with the watermelons? And they stole all the watermelons and the farmer was like, why didn't you just come down here? Like that was was just so, it was just such harmless, you know. Joy riding the cop car with his brother side of a dump. Oh my gosh. So, so, so you see him laugh. So so you see Freddie laugh through, through his entire life. And one of my favorite things that I just can't get over is he and Willie Nelson, because I have friends that do this. I have friends that I call and sing to, and they call and sing back to me. And I have friends that I tell jokes to, and they tell jokes back to me and Willie and uh, Freddie um, used to call and tell each other jokes. And it would make Willie mad because Freddie would like tell everybody <laughs> yeah. at the golf course before he got <laughs> home yeah. and ruin it for him. So Willie would come <laughs> home ready to tell his new jokes, but everybody already heard him from Freddie. And I'm like, oh, that's so something I would do. There's also the hundreds of dollars in phone bills they would rack up a month from Willie calling Freddie in the middle of the night from overseas or Freddie calling him back. And there's a point where you all read where yeah. Catherine comes in like, look, boys, I know this is. But see, that's what, how cool she was as a partner, because she knew going into it that it was going to be a party. But, sure. then, but she's also like really, really cool, making sure that everyone's having fun. But at the same time, the business sure. is getting done. And that, and that and that was it was a rock and roll. I mean, even the bus when I'd go down to Florida to write with them, um, once they were at the floor of Bama, I mean, it was like, there was hard times and there was the obvious realities of the demands of his disease Catherine had on her, but it would, she, they both kept it so much fun for everybody else. Is what I'm trying to say that oh, it, yeah. made it, it made it that much easier for people to just be like, okay, so I can still, it is still all right. And, and then they wouldn't, yeah. you know, and it would just was a big reunion for him with a lot of people that they would run into. He hadn't seen in years. And they're like, well, can we still? Yeah, absolutely. Let you know, and 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 whatever else. I mean, that that bus was, you know, big and rich talk at one point in the book about, you know, when Freddie couldn't really bet anymore himself, they were gambling with him up in Deadwood, and they would place the bets for him, and he would hit the table if he wanted to double down. Or so people really tried to keep him in a constant state of fun and 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 enjoying his life as much as possible. I think Catherine would attest because she was the leader of that, you know, that oh, effort. Oh yes, what a wonderful mission. What a wonderful, like, it was fun. He was the love of my life. I'm still very much head over heels in love with him. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm going to skip ahead to the roasts because it's going to talk about how you guys met because in the roast, you say that he lied about his age when you met him. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about that. Okay. He didn't really lie about his age. He had his best friend, um, Carl Vickers basically um, led me to believe that Freddie was only 49 and I was 31 at the time. So, okay. I figured, okay. You know, there's an age difference, but my daddy could handle it. And yeah. then it wasn't until, <clears throat> excuse me, that we were at the doctor's office and the nurse was questioning him about his age. <laughs> and it happened to be his birthday was coming up or it was his birthday. And she comes walking in and she spills out his age in front of me. 
And um, after he snickers <laughs> at her a couple of times, you know, you would have thought she wouldn't have come in and just belted it out. And I turned around and looked at her and went, oh my God, my daddy was born at 34, you know? <laughs> so I'm finding out that my, the man I'm in love with is actually older than my father, but. Oh my gosh. Oh I my God, that cracks me up. <laughs> was, but you know what? I was head over heels. I fell in love with the picture of him. So when um, it was like love at first sight when we did finally get to meet and. Um, did you meet on the houseboat? Yes, we did. Um, his son was a friend of mine out in Reno. I just moved out to Reno and been there probably about eight months, close to a year, something like that. And his son um, came in and said, um, hey, this is my dad's new album. Um, you won't want to listen to it. And I looked at the picture and I fell in love. And so um, it was a couple of weeks later. Freddie Jr. comes over again and he said, hey, dad just invited us all up to the houseboat. And at this time I was dating Freddie Jr.'s best friend. Oh my gosh. Oh my <laughs> yeah, God. I, was, I was dating Freddie Jr.'s best friend at the time. Oh my and God. So, so we all, you know, we said, you want to go up to the houseboat, you know, meet my dad and all this stuff. I was like, we can go in my car because I just had a new Camaro. <laughs> so it's like, let's go in my car. <laughs> and um, we go up there and it was like we laid eyes on each other and we were like this the whole day and that evening um, we're walking back after going up to get some beer and um, he puts his arm around me and he said hey you and I make a great team and I wanted to so badly to turn around and say yeah 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 when I look up at my boyfriend standing on the front of the house, but oh my gosh, what <laughs> so a great story! Kind of, you know, tried to be, you know, like oh, this cool, you know, blah blah blah. But yeah, it was a. Uh, but once we, it did. We were actually at a George Strait concert when he, uh, everybody there. We it was all backstage, and he said, "Hey, I got a." Uh, tickets for a big booth out here does anybody want to go and I kind of stood around and watched to see what everybody was going to say and everybody was they were so you know excited about being backstage mm -hmm. they didn't care to go out front and I went I want to go out front well I because I knew it was just going to be he and I yeah and we went out front and um after that, we were, <laughs> we were together. I mean, you can read in the book. Oh, I read it. To me. And uh, I kind of moved away and then I cooled back over and I go, okay. And uh, <laughs> from that night on, we were like this. And um, yeah, but, um, it, but we still kept the relationship kind of a secret because I just broke up with um, my boyfriend and he had just broken up with a girlfriend. And uh, and then he had a friend of ours that he already was showing signs of jealousy of me. He used to tease him. It's like, what kind of relationship did y'all have? But um, so we kept it a secret for, you know, a year and a half or a little longer. Oh before. And, um, and it was one of those things that when the newspaper finally got wind of it, instead of, because they kept wanting to write a story about us being a couple. Uh -huh. and, and I was like, well, we're not, you know, we're not engaged and da, 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 da. But then when all of a sudden the, they got to write the big story and it was like, 
Freddie Powers finally marries his longtime girlfriend. Wow. I went, I went wait a minute. This whole story started out and you wanted to do a story about me because I was doing, I, I was an auctioneer at a fashion show. Yeah. And one of the models worked for the newspaper. And so she kept wanting to write this story. Well, then they, when they finally do it, it was like, I got left out completely. I barely even had a name. <laughs> oh my gosh you you fell in love with a really super famous guy you know it happens it happens so so how did so what did freddie's son and and his friend like how were like what was there well uh, well um freddie was all you know it was kind of funny because freddie and i had gone to um one of his cousin's funerals and we had not ever talked about marriage, much less than we even used the words, I love you yet. I mean, we still hadn't gone that far, mm-hmm. but I knew how he felt and he knew how I felt. So we were at his cousin's funeral when his son was with us and Freddie introduced me as his fiance. And I'm, I'm like, I mean, I look up at Freddie and Freddie- You're like, like, did I miss something? <laughs> I'm looking over my Freddie like, okay so you know, i went along with it and everything it was like when we got back on our little cherokee 180 and freddie jr was with us and i said you know i'm excited that we're engaged but don't you think you should have asked me to marry it but you know we <laughs> we have really never even said the words i love you we, i mean he was saying it to me all the time and i would sing it to him yeah. i mean he used to wake me up with a cup of coffee beside the bed and singing peg of my heart i love you you know oh my gosh so we sang it but we just never sat down and talked about ever getting married or anything like that but yet i was already his fiance to his family (laughs) yeah well hey speaking of singing to each other let's listen to another little Freddie. here we go okay Some good luck, some bad luck, and no luck, it's true. But I always get lucky with you. I've been turned on and turned down when the bars close at two. But I against me most all of the time when it's down to just a phone call I minus the dime I've had good days and bad days but when the day finish it well you know freddie had a final verse that got ended up getting left out so he put it back in and it was i've searched all my life for that pot of gold 
at the rainbow's end. I found you again, and I always get lucky with you. Oh, that a terrible crack it up there. Oh, I love oh it. So, so anytime I do well, when I do the book signings or whatever, I always sing that little last verse because it's not on any of the original cuts. Oh, oh I love my it. gosh. I, I love it. Kind of a nerdy music biographer observation too. And, and this comes from, you know, I do a lot of different anthologies that interview songwriters or chronicle the chronicling writing of albums in the studio. And Freddie was a ballsy songwriter. That's a standard country kind of backdrop. The chords are a little bit of his Dixieland jazz influence, but listen to what he's singing about. This oh, yeah. Fearless as a songwriter. He could artfully go anywhere on the page and talk or write about anything and make it sound so good that if he was saying, I'm going to kill you, you might be like, he was such a nice guy. He was such a nice guy in his songs that no matter what it was inviting or, or, or whatever have you, it was, he was just brilliant. And there's a lot of songwriters in this book too, that we really want to make sure are spotlighted like Floyd Tillman and um, Sonny Throckmorton and, and people yes. that pretty really champion Ray Wiley Hubbard and on the soundtrack, uh, the Spotify, it's out on, well, it's everywhere, but Spotify, especially you can hear these guys on Rogers and Hammerhead with Freddie performing together, Johnny Gimble. I mean, these are musical performances, Bobby Nelson, Willie Nelson and oh, Freddie. Yeah. Uh, you, you get to hear the richness of the musical performances that these guys put together, no matter what they were playing. And Freddie yeah. was such a songbook that he could write any way you wanted or needed him to. The Which is what made him partly so indispensable to Merle Haggard because oh, yeah. Merle wanted oh, yeah. to write a anything. Freddie Freddie was right there. What about this, Merle? You know, and these guys are off to the races. Yeah, that's one of those things. If you've ever been, if you've ever been in a songwriting group or a writing group or an improv group or a comedy writing group, or around those kind of people, there you're you're always going, we should write a joke about that. We should write a song about that. That should be the title of a song. That should be a line from a movie. Da 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 da. But they just did it. Then they would go write the song. So let's chase yeah. each other around the hotel room was just. Um, I, that, that was, was done in about 10 or 15 minutes. You yeah. Know? Uh, yeah. It was a girl said, you know, Freddie, when we get to the hotel, I'm going to chase you around the room. And him and Merle looked at each other and went, pen and paper <laughs> in about 15 minutes. Yeah. I had one, you know. Oh, yeah. It's so really, great. It's so great. I really loved the story too, um, more towards the end with the um, the paper plates um, and oh, just, yeah. just hearing about how, you know, he had been trying to get somebody to realize that he was trying to write a song and then, and I can't remember her name, but she grabbed Mary a paper. Sarah. Yes. Yeah, Mary yeah. I, you know, and I have been hearing Freddie, I mean, he knew that he had been invited, you know, to come to this songwriter session. And we really didn't think that we were going to get much out of it. It was Mark Sherrill. And I don't, um, you know, that song, Oh Red by Blake Shelton? I think so. I think okay, so. Well, Mark, Mark Sherrill is the one who wrote that song. Uh -huh. And uh, so we had a songwriting session set up with Mary Sarah. And so Mark had said, you know, Catherine, why don't you bring Freddie? Because he knew that, you know, we're trying to keep Freddie active and a part of the, the music yeah. life. So he said, bring Freddie over. And he goes, you know, we might be lucky to even get a melody or something out of him, you know? Yeah. And so for that whole week before, I would hear Freddie muttering over there. And I'd run over and go, baby, what you need or what you want or whatever. And he goes, I'm just thinking. 
well, when they, and I would hear some of the things that he would say, but I would, they weren't making sense to me because I didn't realize what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when they finished the song and they called me in to hear it, all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, he had been laying in that bed all week writing this song in his head. So when we got into that hotel room, immediately he just started blurting out lines and he wasn't really speaking really a lot you know but he would had the strength and the power that day he just started blurting out lines well enough for mary sarah to understand what he was saying and she just grabbed paper plates and pen and just started writing it down and so yeah his final song was right here on this beach when he barely was able to communicate but he did that day and it was amazing just amazing that song is also on the sound the book soundtrack as well if anyone yeah oh yeah you guys i'm gonna i'm gonna nerd out about the book like all the book offers for a minute (laughs) so yes there are a million musicians in in these stories and you'll love all of those stories so you'll love the vegas years where they're partying and they've got a, a penthouse across the street from this penthouse and freddie's getting a new cadillac every year but he's doing stupid (laughs) things with them and he's he's playing with musicians and then you've got the part where they're on the houseboats and then you've got all the willie and the golf course so there's all those things then there's all these friendships that's another big part of the book is you just get such a sense of community and friendship among all these musicians and it goes on for years and years and years especially merle and you know it's just super sweet to read about there's just not a lot of like super positive, let's be really nice superstars to each other. You know, I just, I don't know what that was so touching to me. And then uh, it's also about musicians, like all the musicians and how much they respect his guitar playing. Everybody, every single person not only says he's funny, but they say he's the best rhythm guitar player that they've ever worked with and so there's just so much to geek out about with this book so then um freddie's journey with parkinson's and so so there's the love story right the love story is such a wonderful thing about this book because and somebody's even quoted in the book going look over there that's what love looks like you know, looking at Catherine and Freddie. And when you read this book, and not only are they doing all these romantic side of the mountain, cooking fish over the grill kind of stuff and flying together, but also he's in the hospital bed and she's trying to revive him. And she says, honey, show Papa your tits. (laughs) Tell him that story, Catherine. Tell him that story. Funny that that was a uh, Joy Davis, jo- uh, Joy Davis Anderson. Um, she kind of adopted us as, as Mama and Papa, and so we yeah. always refer to her as our um, daughter from another mother. So <laughs> they're trying to get this tube down Freddie's nose, and he's fighting it because it was you know they hurt when they're going down, and he's holding his head back. Well, they needed his chin to go forward, so. Um, I looked at Joy, you know, because Freddie was a titty man. We even had Titty Tuesday at the hospital, you know. (laughs) I looked at Joy and I said, Joy, show Papa your titties. And of course, I said, show Papa your titties. So the the doctors that are doing this, you know, you can see they're like, 
oh yeah and she what goes no you? mama so now she's you know called us you know papa and now she just said <laughs> now mama and i said yes and she goes papa look and so they're, they're like, <laughs> oh my god and she pops them down and she shows papa her titties well when they did he looked down and that tube just went right on down <laughs> and those doctors are looking at each other going that's the first time we've ever got treated for doing a treatment. <laughs> but so, yeah, we had, some, we had some pretty funny times. And uh, there's, oh gosh, like I said, yeah. when we did the roast, I had to tell people that if you've got tender ears and you don't want to hear some dirty words, now is the time to leave. After yeah. we, did the, we did the celebration. We had the military thing, you know, the 21 gun salute. We did all yeah. that first. And then we went into the roast. Which yeah. is, let me, what is the name? Which bow is it? So I get it's this right. Bo, okay, bow Porter. All right, I'm going to tell, I'm going to paraphrase this story, but I always screw up because there's two bows and I want to, she always yells at me. So I want to make sure I get them right. <laughs> so as an example of the people that even near, you know, when he was down in Florida, and living down there permanently the last couple of years of his life, these songwriters would come through and play Frank Brown Festival or whatever the clubs and all would make a pilgrimage to see Freddie. And this, this Bo is sitting there and Catherine needed to go do something. And it was common for a songwriter, many different songwriters to sit with him while she would be gone getting whatever she needed to get done done. And Bo and him are sitting there and Freddie made comment that he needed to use the restroom. And Bo says, well, by God, let's get it done. And as he's on stage, yes. I'm recording this, watching him and he's just beat red. He can't believe that he's telling. And so they go through the whole process and they get done and Freddie says, all right, I'm, I'm finished. And so you, you're helping him. And he says, I need you to help me, uh, you know, pull the bridges up. And so when they get that done, he goes, what do you think you're a hero now, boy? And this is after he <laughs> told Mr. Powers, you're my hero. And you know, oh, yeah, he yeah. <laughs> Bo had just gone on and on about telling Freddie how much he loved him and how much he respected him. He was his hero and blah, blah, blah. And they get all that done. And he's like, what do you think of your hero now, boy? <laughs> So his sense of humor is so great. Yes, Freddie kept that sense of humor throughout the park all the way through. Even when um, his final shows, he would do it. He had a whole little comedy skit that he did about Parkinson's, and it would, you know, it would open it by saying that Merle Haggard had told him that as many hands as they had to shake, you know, he was already warmed up. You know, oh my God, he would go to the get all the way to, you know, if he laid out on the beach, you know, they would call it shake and shake bake. And bake. <laughs> His final one was, you know, um, he called himself a human vibrator, no batteries needed, you know. And oh then he the women to come and sit in his lap and, you know, and say, if you don't want to, if you don't believe me, come sit in my lap, you know. Oh my <laughs> gosh, oh my gosh. I think, wow. I think what impressed me, um, one of the things that really impressed me, I shouldn't say the most, but one of the things that really impressed me, um, I used to be a caregiver. So I took care of people that had um, primarily spinal cord injuries and traumatic brain injuries. Um, and with TBI patients, a lot of times we had Parkinson's patients. So, um, so I was able to like really connect with you on the things that you had to do for him. Um, but what most impressed me with that was that you put the man on your back and you carried him on and off in RV and you carried him to put him in his chair and you would put him on stage and 
You had the man on your back. I carried him on. I piggyback him out to the beach. And, um, you know, and I, I would have to do, sometimes I'd have to carry him, you know, like this, like you, like you would a baby out the door. But coming in and going upstairs and getting him in and out of that wheelchair, yep, I piggybacked him up over eight years. I just, you know, seeing photos of the two of you and seeing the height difference and, and knowing what it's like, what it takes to pick up somebody that is dead weight. I was so, I was so impressed. He was shaking too. He wasn't just dead weight. He was physically, I watched this happen on a weekly basis for a long period of time. And then again, in different places that they go, she would do it, whether it was getting him on a stage at a show, like you said, or else he might be having a Parkinson's fit and she's going to have to calm him down just to get his stomach in and out or all the things. And I joke like she's on the phone with a John Rich or a Willie Nelson about talking about the next thing. And now she's stay still so I can change your tube. And she was also very direct, but kind about it. I thought her bedside manner was always very impressive as well, because it it was, I could see myself getting a lot more frustrated (laughs) to be quite honest. Oh, well, there was times that there was a lot of frustration and there was a lot of times, you know, I, sometimes that I do, I ask, constantly you know if he can ever I pray that he forgives me of all the times I did lose my cool and all the times I did scream you know but um I and and in my heart I know that he because I would even tell him you know I'm gonna scream if you don't stop you know (laughs) there was there was some times it was really tough it was very hard yeah it's stressful but um the deal was I loved him and um, he knows that I would have done anything for him and I'd be doing it even though I'd be complaining and griping I'd still be doing it so what so with I know that there was a story um the doctor said that he couldn't prescribe the marijuana you know for the Parkinson's but you guys were using it anyway so was it was it more like like, how did you discover that it was helping the situation? Or was it just like, oh, I guess we'll just do this? Or did somebody no, no, suggest yeah. it? It was, you know, because he'd always been a pot smoker and it got to where I noticed that he could be really shaking really bad and then he'd get high. And the next thing I know, I'd see him calming down. And he would also, um, he would feel the anxiety, the, you know, because you, you, when you're shaking and everything, you're all so anxious and, and little things can set you off. But if he was high, he was calm and he was okay. And not only that, it was one time it actually saved his life. And, um, and it's kind of a funny story. It's sad, but it was funny, but he had gotten the hiccups because yeah. of the feeding tube and stuff. You can develop all kinds of different things. And, um, he had gotten hiccups just so bad, so bad. And of course, you know, they sent us out a prescription for different, you know, drugs and stuff, trying to figure out how to calm it down. I read up on it about how to burp the, the tube and all this. I mean, I was constantly learning this stuff. It was crazy. And um, so I, and I'm just like, I, I, we tried everything and it wasn't working. And I said, you know what, I'm, I'm get, you know, I'm going to try this. So I went over and I fixed a big bowl. And I mean, I blew, I put my hands over his face, you know, and did the mask type thing, you know, and gave him a super, super huge nose hit. And I mean, it wasn't, it was barely 10 minutes later. 
those hiccups just sort and we're talking hiccups he had, he had had for you know almost three days in a row yeah. to the point to where he was having troubles breathing you know and what i'm just like thinking i was the headlines are going to be die from hiccups rather than oh my gosh. you yeah. know but um so that that was when i went oh my god not only has he calmed him down and made things a lot easier for him all this time it physically just saved his life yeah because if we hadn't have gotten those hiccups calmed down it they probably would have killed him he was you know he couldn't wow couldn't, couldn't drink he issues breathing i mean it was um crazy yeah i witnessed this also quite a lot where just to get him to stop shaking so he could answer me when we would be talking when he still had use of his voice the last couple of years before it went catherine would you know stand over him and blow a head into his mouth and he could calm down and actually yeah, yeah um, so like wow. i said it, to be such a it was became so powerful you know to go from right like i said going from running from it to partying with it to yeah. being a necessity in his life. It's, yeah. You know. Well, I want to, I want to, I want to share, cause these are things that people can still like participate in right now, but where is the Freddie Powers Pickin Pavilion? Is that at Floribama or is that in no, Texas? That's, that's in Austin, Texas. It's at the La Hacienda RV park. Oh, and, okay. um, and we got there because when, the house that we were living in was it was called the Mac, Bill McDavid's home. Um, Willie Nelson lived there. Pretty Lock lived there. It was used as Ray Price's kitchen. I mean, we'd go out on road or something. I come back home and I knew when Ray Price had been cooking in the kitchen because it'd be some Ray Price um, salsa left in the refrigerator. <laughs> so, so that but when Bill McDavid passed himself, they were selling the house. And we'd already, you know, knew we were getting the bus. We'd already, matter of fact, we'd already purchased the bus mm -hmm. to keep Freddie out on the road because he couldn't go out on the road anymore by himself with Merle or anybody because he needed assistance. So this yeah. way we were able to keep him out there for the, right at first we followed Merle everywhere they went and kept Freddie out there as a part of it. And, you know, um, because, of, because of the bus. Um, but Lordy mercy, I've lost my story. <laughs> hey, you know what, Catherine? That's Catherine. supposed to happen on this show <laughs> at <laughs> least once. At least one time, somebody's got to be telling a really enthusiastic story and then go, Ooh. what? Yep. Angie, Angie and I had a whole episode that we just I had know to. What it was. <laughs> oh, she's I, back. Yes, she's I back. did. And it's very important to me to get even okay. get this out. But, um, so when we had our last picking party um, at the, the house and at the house, we could easily put 200 people in that living room. It was so huge. And um, I hated cleaning it. it was, <laughs> and so the bus was a refresh. I'm um, sure. Um, we'd had the last picking party at the house. And then our next one, a friend of ours down on, that owned a place down on the uh, Lake Travis said, well, y'all can have it here. Well, the owner of um, the La Hacienda RV Resort had um, heard about the Freddie Powers picket parties and had, had been invited to them. And that particular year, he decided to come. And um, he had joined our Facebook thing. And 
somebody had posted because it was after the party was over they said are we going to have a south by southwest picket party because by now they've even become a pretty regular event you know yeah. the two parties and um i said well yeah we're gonna have it no matter what we got to do to get it and the guy ken butek um he texted me and said hey i got this place over at the la hacienda rv resort why don't y'all come and check it out and our plans was to go over there for the weekend well we ended up living there for i think three years i think something like that and they named the pavilion there the freddie powers picking pavilion Oh so I have made a promise that as long as there's the Freddie Powers Picking Pavilion at the La Hacienda Resort there in Austin, Texas, that we will continue to have the two parties. So, and everybody's welcome on the um, January the 1st of every year, we have the Freddie Powers New Year's Day Black Eyed Pea and Cabbage Picking Party. Oh my and gosh. Black Eyed Peas and Cabbage and whatever else. And we eat and listen to music. Oh my gosh. And then, um, the final Sunday of the um, South by Southwest there, the festival there in Austin, we do the Freddie Powers South by Southwest picking party. And once again, we have about 15 acts or more and um, it's just music and more music. Let's go, Shelly. Uh, sounds like heaven, yeah, 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 yeah. I have to sign off. Um, you too. It's been really wonderful, wonderful being. Oh, Jake, I'm sorry. I didn't. Okay. I, I just forgot about the. Is there any final thoughts? I was gonna. Oh, it was a. It was a. Along with Joe Satriani and Anna Nancy Wilson and Lemmy. Yes, another of my yes. favorite books I've ever done. So it was a real pleasure to be part of creating this. And we have a film coming up next. And I'll let Catherine sign off and give you the rest of the details on her own. Yes. But thank you oh for my having us on. And, and thanks, I really Jake. You're so I welcome. You're so welcome. Thanks, Thank you so much, so much. Hey, Catherine, do you have time for me to tell you a dirty joke? Yes, you go right ahead. All right, I, I think it. I think I think you'll like it. I don't know; it's one of my favorites. Uh, so there's a penguin uh -huh. touring around, just like you guys were on the bus, and his bus breaks down. You know how it goes. So he's got to drop it off at the mechanic, and he's really hot because he's down in Florida, right? So he finds this little uh, restaurant next door and he snuck into the walk-in cooler to try to cool down. And he saw this big tub of vanilla ice cream and he jumped in it and he wallowed all around to cool off. And then it had been a little bit of time. So he goes back over to the mechanic and the mechanic says, well, it looks like you blew a seal. And he's like, ah. nah, nah, it's just vanilla ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, that's cute. Freddie would have liked that one. Freddie would have liked that one. I know it. I know <laughs> it. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So, can I ask you? Because um, now I'm more cognizant of time. <laughs> but can I ask you? Uh, I wanted to hear about the pick and parties, and I also wanted to hear about it. Remind me how he got involved with Special Olympics, and if there's any Special Olympics and Parkinson's organizations that we can encourage people to support. Well, you know, we were a part of the Capital Area Parkinson's Society there in Austin, Texas. But of course, any Parkinson's, you know, foundation, they all pull together. So I, you know, if you are, you know, a generous person and, and wanted to donate, I would say, um, choose a local one in there in your hometown that, mm -hmm. because they have right up front 
people right there in your own hometown that need help, you know? And so I, I, I know that, you know, um, it's great. I love the Michael J. Fox Foundation. I love the Parkinson's and Me Foundation. But um, I do know from experience that your local area, um, that by the time the, the bigger corporations and it dwindles down, there's not much left for the, your local people in your own hometown that are suffering from Parkinson's and they need walkers and they, yeah. you know, need, there's so many needs. And um, a lot of them, you know, if sadly, if they're living alone, they, you know, just getting a meal cooked, you know, and a lot of times it's even those drop-offs, they drop off meals, but it doesn't mean that they're capable of setting there feeding themselves. So volunteering your time to um, okay. your locals, uh, that's what I... Okay, I bet I can find it. Oh, you muted yourself accidentally. Um, I'm sorry. I, so, so I wanted to ask you, because the Olympics are happening right now, if that makes you think yeah. about the Special Olympics, if you're still involved. Yeah. Yes, we were so involved with them. They were in... Um, we lived up in South Lake Tahoe at, you know, on the Nevada side. And um, we just, do, we were playing down at the El Dorado in Reno. And there was a little boy with Down syndrome that came and they, and they were coming every night. And so uh, about the fourth night or so, I, you know, walked over and I met them and um, I, the next thing I know, they're telling me that little Timmy has been coming to see Freddie and, he, and, you know, they brought him because he loved Freddie so much, but he had never met him. So oh. I, I know. So I um, said, well, do you want to meet Freddie? Well, this little kid's not in his face. And I call him a little kid, but he was old enough to be in a casino. But, you know. Sure, the, sure. Yes, I and, totally understand. Yeah. So, um his face just lit up and I brought Freddie out. Well, he and Freddie just hit it off. And he oh, invited Freddie to one of um, their events and it just took off from there. And we were at, we did bowling tournaments with them. We did skiing tournaments. We did their um, uh, dance, school dances, you know. Um, one of my favorite stories is playing one of his school dances, you know, their school dances. And um, all the kids started lining up because they were going to dance with Freddie and I. Yeah. And all the boys were in a line and, and the girls were getting in a line. And I'm thinking, you know, well, your, your first thought is you're going to dance with the boys. Freddie's going to dance with the girls. Well, that's not how it happened. <laughs> it was all those boys, they dancing with Freddie. Yeah. And with the girls and stuff. <laughs> and the sweetest thing, and I mean, it was so beautiful because there was one of them that was it was a little boy and here freddie is dancing to a slow dancing to a rap song with the little boy staring up at freddie's face and freddie and freddie had big old tears just rolling oh, down oh they no the they was going oh we can't take it anymore I mean, oh my gosh it was just uh, you know such a beautiful thing you know and oh. uh, freddie's was it Freddie's uncle that was? Yes, his yeah, uncle. Okay. He, was, he grew up with an uncle. And um, it wasn't Down syndrome that his uncle had, but he did have a brain injury. And um, 
So yeah, our, our very first golf tournament that we had, we dedicated that to his Uncle Slim. And so everything we did was in honor of his Uncle Slim with the Special Olympics, yes. There was oh another gosh. story in the book. Um, one of the Special Olympians was running a race and Freddie thought he was gonna trip and fall. So we ran uh, over to him and was saying, slow down, slow down. And he says, Freddie, I'm wanting a waste. I love the way they would talk. They always called him Freddie and, <laughs> and, and me, Kat, you know, Catherine. I, it was, my name was spelled with an F. Yeah, um, Catherine. He didn't have an R in his name, and I mine started with an L. And, uh, <laughs> oh, it's precious. One time it was so cute because Freddie and I always called each other Ma and Paul. And one day we were sitting there, and I'm sitting up on the bleachers, and I've got four or five of them sitting around me. And Freddie said, you know, he goes, mama, you know, and the kids got used to him calling me mama. And so he'd said something and I said, okay, Paul, you know, and the kids look at me and they go, Miss Kathleen, if his name is Freddie, why you call him Paul? <laughs> <laughs> but they thought I was saying Paul, P-A-L, yeah, I mean, P-A-L. Yes, yes. P-A-L, yeah. Paul. Uh, Ma and Paul. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. So are, where you're living right now, are you a part of that music scene? Do you still have people coming yeah. through? Yeah, there's a lot of people here and I love going to the floor of Bama. Now, I will tell you that what kept me here is there's a church at the floor of Bama. Yeah. And it, you know, when I originally started, it was worship on the water. And um and it was kind of funny because Freddie and I just happened to come down here. Freddie had been baptized there in Austin, there at the La Hacienda RV Resort. Yeah. And um, and then we came down here and we just happened to come down here. Well, they were having the very first service to the church at the Floribama. And so we went. And then um, when we came down here to stay, thinking we were only going to be here three to four months, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this whole island, you know, not just the church, but the Floribama and it, so many people, they all just stepped in to help with our, our needs. I mean, the um, restaurant there, the Waffle House, the, and yeah. they knew that I was down at the bus and I could call up there and order me some food and they would bring it to me, you know, wow. they, they, or I would go in and, and they wouldn't let me pay, you know, they were just... They were very, you know, everybody was very helpful. Floribama, the yellow shirts, they all were there. And this church, like I said, we'd got involved in it. And then Freddie ended up living, you know, almost four years. Well, by this time, we'd both gotten really involved in the church. We were, you know, um, I had become a greeter. I'd greet people and I would help out doing whatever. I'd go to Bible study, you know, with them and all that. So when he ended up passing, it was the church. I didn't want to leave this church. I love yeah. my church down here. I love the people on this beach. Um, yeah. I've got everybody, they worry about me because they say I'm in hurricane area, but I keep saying, look, um, I get a week's or, you know, notice, sometimes even a month's notice that we've got a hurricane coming towards us. Your tornadoes, you'd only got seconds. So yeah. don't worry about me and my hurricanes. You worry more about you and your <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, but I have to tell you. I did just, well, I was going to say, I did just lose the bus 
because we had the, a, a humongous hailstorm, which they're talking about having another one. I'm like, no, not again. Please don't tear my place up. Oh my the, gosh. The bus got totaled out from a hailstorm down here. Um, oh, no. Yeah, it, it, it totally destroyed the, the roof, the air conditioners. I mean, it just destroyed the bus. Yeah. But you're, but you're safe, so... Yeah, I'm safe. And now I've got to pull behind. So if we have another hurricane or a hailstorm come, I'm going to look up and go. <laughs> yes, yes. That's oh, my go. gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I'll tell you what. I loved this so much. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that Samantha reached out to me. I tell you. And, like, if you're listening and you want something funny and moving and music history and a love story and like a story of overcoming and it's just and it comes with a soundtrack yeah, yeah. yeah. soundtracks and videos you know and so. it will and it and you know what i felt like i made a friend that i now miss i don't miss uh-huh. him like all the people in the book but angie um a couple of days ago, I texted Angie and I said, don't you really wish that we knew Freddie? And she said, OMG, yes. And then she sent me a face with tears. And then uh, I said, um, you know, such a life. Yeah, such a life. It was. And, and I will say that I was blessed. He treated me like he treated me like a queen and, and spoiled yeah. me. And, and I had adventures that. And I, you know, not bragging or anything, but I've had adventures that only, you know, we dreamed of as little girls. Yeah, of course. You know, getting to get, you know, reannounce my wedding vows at the top of the Alpha Tower in Paris, France. I mean, that's, you know, you don't ever think something like that's really. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. Well, plus, plus just the fact that, yeah, the fact that you guys, didn't you renew your wedding vows every five years? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Yes. I always say we were married five times and never got a divorce. Yes, it's so great. It's so great. So I can't say enough about it. I love it. I want the hard copy. How do we get the hard copy? Is it on Amazon or where, where do we go to get well, the hard it, copy? It's on Amazon, um, of course. It's um, it's in, you know, Barnes and Nobles. I'm oh, not it is. Sure. Okay, okay. It may not be in your city. I don't know. Okay. Um, you know, there's certain cities, I guess, the way they do it. I don't know. Sure, um, sure. We'll look it up. People know how to get books. <laughs> but for an autographed one, you can get one from by me at the freddypowers.net. Oh, freddypowers.net. Okay, yeah. let's send people there. Yes, yeah, so um, and those who come to you autographed, you know, by Jake and I. As a matter of fact, I... Um, autographing Freddie and Catherine Powers. So, oh gosh. So, yes. I tell you, Catherine, I, well, I was just, I, it just dawned on me um, earlier. You said that I looked familiar and I just remembered um, I sent you a Facebook request actually. And so I'm wondering now if you saw my Facebook request and you saw my face. I did. <laughs> Look real familiar. I'm like, this girl. That's why I thought you were from Austin. Oh, just from Facebook. Just a creep wow. on Facebook. <laughs> I've been looking for a reason for me and Angie to road trip to Austin. And um, got it is now. That, is that where the RV park is? 
Well, you know, like I said, um, we do have the South by Southwest, which will be in March, you know, okay. and then, and then on, on January the 1st, we did the Black Eyed Peas. But if y'all are really into music, I gotta, I'm got i going to have to promote something here at the Florabama, do which it. is every, every November, the, and it starts on the first Thursday in November, it is called the Frank Brown Songwriters Festival, and um which I, I'm one of the MCs, and I also cook <gasps> breakfast with all the guys on that final Sunday. I do a pancake breakfast that I host. And, um, but you want to come and listen to music and hear, hear all the songwriters doing their own songs. People like Sonny Throckmorton doing this, Where the Cowboy Rides Away, and Why Not Me, you know, that he wrote for the, um, the Judds. And um, he's got like a thousand number ones. And then, you know, you hear people from like Mark Sherrill, you know, who has written several hit songs, including Old Red for Blake Shelton. And, um, but my, my all-time hero, which he is just, you know, he's also passed now, was Wayne Carson. And um, he wrote, um, the, you know, Give Me a Ticket for an Airplane, The Letter. And oh, yeah. Was, but then what got me about him is I didn't know that um, because I always thought Willie wrote it. And um, now I can't think of the name of the song. Oh my goodness, I just went blank. Was it song. was a, a song that people associate with Willie? Like I wish yeah. I was 18 again. It's one of Willie's and all of a sudden I just realized. Um, but oh, I, that's so frustrating. I know. Wayne Carson. Yes, Wayne Carson. But so, the, I mean, you, we have about, you know, anywhere from, you know, like 150 to 200 songwriters from all over the country that come down here. Dean Dillon comes down here, who's got- Always you know, on my mind. Yes, that's it. Always on my mind. Lordy God, I can't believe I forgot that. It drives but me we, crazy when that happens. I'm just like, ah, I know this. Yes, yes. But we do. We have a lot of great songwriters from all over the country, you know. Um, well, we'll come down and stay with you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I've got a, I, I'm in a, I went from 32 feet with six huge storage bays down to 21 feet and two little storage bays. I've remodeled it. I took out a, a queen bed and I turned that into my sitting room. I um laid the tile myself uh, you are phenomenal you are yeah. you are absolutely amazing seriously uh I've, I've just got to make it work so I'm living at a small little camper but you know what it's just me and my little tiny dog and oh um, my gosh is the dog there yes she was barking earlier she's 18 and a half years old oh my oh, gosh um, she was my fur coat which y'all read about her in the book where um I think um my little Olga were, yes, um, yes. So I've still got her. Oh my um, god! And I think it every day lets me keep her, you know. But she's gone blind and she's deaf, and it's. Oh. But perfect. But she's still with me, so it's just her and I. Oh and, my gosh! Uh, I still, you know, I'm so much in love with Freddie, and um, I just don't even have any interest in dating. Um, I yeah. don't date. I had one lunch in the last five years and it was and that one lunch was enough for me to say you know what they ain't nobody gonna replace my freddie yeah so no. I'll be the rest of my life just being yeah. in love with him do you know um i mean you probably do um it dawned on me today as i was finishing up the book today is the five-year anniversary of when you guys did his celebration um on july 28th 
Yes, yes, yeah. there in Nashville, ten, well, no, that one was in Austin, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. it's an honor. I, 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 I deal with it, and I try it a lot of times. You know, it's really kind of hard. I just kind of try to ignore certain days. Like, I ignore Valentine's Day. I don't, I don't want, I just turn the TV off. I don't want to hear about it. It's like. Yeah, yeah. It's not my day. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's an absolute honor to talk to you. When, when y'all yeah. read this book, when y'all read this book, the number of people that while they're being interviewed call at call Catherine something like saint or angel or the best person in the whole world or <laughs> the person who epitomized love but definitely angel saint <laughs> all of that yeah. so many people gracious um yeah, yeah patient yeah. and and so just just I'm so grateful that y'all did this book and I'm so grateful to have gotten to know Freddie through this book I gotta tell you good job good job I know you want to keep his memory alive and I since I read it I've been texting all my, my musician friends like how much Freddie Powers do you know like what do you, <laughs> what do, you do by Freddie Powers you know and um it's just so because I have some bluegrass banjo kind of friends and I've been to some little picking parties here in Michigan and I was just like, oh. um, Freddie has a song called um, Somewhere Down the Line that Merle actually re recut um, on the, his, his bluegrass album. Mm -hmm. And that song actually got nominated originally, you know, for a Grammy. But because Merle was not of that genre, they was like, well, that's not moral genre. So they did oh not give gosh. Oh, whatever. Merle's like, never mind. I've got too many awards anyway. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, just, you know, th that's one thing that always bothered Freddie is that everything had to be in a genre. It's like, I know, my gosh. You know? Yeah. I, well, well, you know, what's funny is when you pick, like when you go on Spotify and put your podcast or whatever, you can't just say it has to be educational or comedy yeah. or language. You know, it has to be some category. I'm like, why do I got to be a category? It's just so people can find you, you know? Yeah. So, okay. And just to respect your time, I would love to go out with a song. And okay, so let me just say this has been Reads and Weeds. Jake Brown was with us, biographer to so many musicians. And he said, this is his favorite one he's ever worked on. Amazing book. Angie, any final thoughts? Just read it. Pack a bowl and, and turn on some music and just enjoy it. Yeah. 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 So turn on Kathy, the Freddie Powers music. It's, it's really got it. Yeah. I mean, it's yes. got to be Freddie Powers music, but yep. Yes. Listen to the soundtrack. Yeah, Listen to the soundtrack, smoke a bowl and yeah, just get lost in it. Our wedding song, my wedding present was um, Road to My Heart. Him and Willie did a duet on it, and then Merle cut it on an album. I love that. Okay. Road to My Heart, Willie, Nelson, and Freddie. We're super professional, Catherine. Yeah. This is the funnest interview. This has really been the funnest interview that I think we've ever done. Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah, gosh. That interview. makes me so happy. Yeah, <laughs> makes me so happy. Ones, and um, 
some very long ones, but this year has been fun. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I think I found it. Catherine's song. You're on the road on the way to my heart. Just follow that old love light that brings you close to me. me want to stay makes me want to stay around and never part you read my mind I guess you're good at bringing out my best you're on the road to my heart oh, that, that's so got dressed to go out to my uh, ex-daughter-in-law's birthday party the other day and somebody's drove through the parking lot and they go oh it looks like you've got a hot date and it's like honey I don't date He's no. like, <laughs> I'm still in love with my husband and I always say there was no seconds to my Freddie and so anybody that would want to take third place I don't know it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who do you think you are? <laughs> I love my buddy. There's no seconds to him. Oh, well, we love you. And thank you so, so much. And when we cut it, we'll send you the link. Okay. Okay, great. All right. Oh, my thank gosh. You thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, thank you thank so you. much. Bye, okay. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. Okay. Bye.